Welcome. This is Efrat Sabalovsky from Why You Connects, happy to introduce Candidate, a candid conversation about today's dating life with experienced guests. Our wonderful host this evening is Rabbi Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi of Young Israel of Great Neck and Rebbe in the Stone-Based Medrash program at Yeshiva University. This podcast is anonymously sponsored by Eloi Nishmas Chano Chaim Ben Yaakov HaKohen. Welcome to Candidate, a candid conversation about dating and relationships with experts in the field. My name is Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi at the Young Israel of Greenak and a Rebbe at the SBMP program at Yeshiva University and your host for this podcast with me. I'm very excited to have a power couple in Chinuch. We have Rabbi Yisrael Kamenetsky, the Rosh Hashiva of DRS, the Menahel, the Rosh Hashiva of the Halb system, the Rosh Hashiva of DRS, and his wife, uh, Mrs. Elisheva Kamenetsky, the principal of SKA High School, a couple who, through their career, I'm not going to uh, make any assumptions, but I'm going to assume many hundreds, many hundreds of Talmudim between the two of you, maybe even thousands, have uh, come through your schools and under your influence, and probably you have stayed connected with a good amount of them. And that brings us to our conversation. But before we get there, first of all, hello. How are you both? Wonderful. So Thanks nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes, 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 of course. Very exciting, very exciting topic. And uh, this was recorded very late at night because uh, to get them uh, is not so easy to get them both at the same time available. And we're very, very grateful to have them here. So let's uh, let's begin our conversation for tonight as Madrichim. And, you know, there are a lot of different types of Madrichim. There are Mechanchim um, of different nature. There are Shishiva, there are Rebbeim, there are Mechanechases. Um, and all sorts of educators involved with our children. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the balance of how their ATSA, their advice, their guidance should, and to what extent it should be involved in their decision-making process. So we know, and we've discussed this in previous podcasts, the role of parents and the role of a shanchen, the role of friends. So I guess just to begin, just to begin, um, what, in your experience in the past, have been questions or have been things that you have been asked by people who are in the dating process that might call you up and ask you, well, like, what, what involvement would they request of you? Um, I think that there are, you know, really two different types of questions. Some questions which are very specific and personal to an individual young man or young woman's own situation. And then there are, I guess, what I would refer to as the uh, questions that are clearly questions, questions like, um, you know, how do I know that he is the one? We're in a very, you know, we're getting along very well and we're very committed to each other. How do I know there isn't somebody better out there? Um, or maybe it's the opposite, where we've been going out for X amount of time and uh, it's nice, but I don't, I don't really feel like this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. So do I say goodbye now or do I wait to see what might, you know, develop over time? Um, you know, another common question is, it's actually going nicely. I'm enjoying myself. I respect him, but he's so not anything like what I imagined I would marry. Th- those are some of the, the questions that I can say that we've probably heard, uh, you know, many, many times over and over. Um, and that, those are, would be in the category of what I would say, those kinds of clully questions. There, there are probably some others as well. Um, and then the other category are things which are specific to a person's unique circumstances, personality, dynamics, and other relationships, etc. Sometimes we may also be called in in a situation of where a young couple want to get married, but their parents may not want them to get married. That gets into a more complex and complicated situation. Sometimes we're asked to try to negotiate those things and try to help the kids see the perspective of the parents and maybe try to help the parents see the perspective of the kids. Sometimes we'll be like, we have relationships with both of them, so we may be able to be helpful. So other than that last category, which involves sort of mediation between parents and children, why do you find that children are, let's say, asking, how how would you articulate why they're asking you as mechanchem, as opposed to, let's say, their friends or their parents or anybody else, the shanchan, let's say. Why are they asking you? So um, I, I think I, I think there is an assumption to the question that they're not. 
I think that uh, very often when people are at a crossroads, and they don't know where to go. They ask a lot of people in their lives um, and they look for, you know, different people's perspectives. Um, maybe they want to make sure and confirm from different people in their lives that they're hearing the same thing in stereo. Uh, maybe they're confused and conflicted and they've asked the question to somebody, gotten an answer, and they're kind of deep down hoping for another answer. So they're, I don't want to say they're shopping for answers, but that that's also a possibility. Um, in, in terms of the, you know, the shadchan, the last person you, you know, you put into the question, I, I think it often very much depends on who the shadchan is. And I, I really uh, applaud uh, all of the young men and women who are helping set up their friends. I, I actually think that's an amazing thing. And we, we need more and more of that uh, in the world, whether it's uh, young marrieds who have a sense of Hakaris Hatov to Rabbanu Sholem for having found their zivug in a in a hopefully easy and 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 you know smooth fashion, and they want to pay it forward, so to say. Or another beautiful thing that that we see often is somebody going out with somebody and it not working out for them, but them having an idea for somebody else. These are great ways uh, that are allowing people to meet each other. But when it happens with people who um, maybe don't have as much experience in relationships and in and seeing how people can connect meaningfully and what is a red flag or what isn't a red flag, what is a normal process for a relationship to develop. So I think that the people dating recognize that those people don't have as much experience. And sometimes those people are playing the role of the, of the shadchan. Other times it's a mature, more mature adult who does have a lot of experience, but may not know um, the young man or the young woman as well. And you know their own inner workings and wirings. I, I was just speaking to a, a you know a, a young lady tonight who was my student a number of years ago, and uh, we hadn't spoken in a long while. But she she chuckled as I said certain things. She goes, "Wow, you really know me." I, I said, "Interestingly, I, I don't know you so well now, but there's certain part of your inner wiring I recognize from uh, from many years ago, and and that's something that I can speak to and help help guide you with." So I think those might be some of the reasons. Um, you know, why people would turn to uh, people who they feel know them well. Two more reasons. We're more objective. And sometimes also they may want sort of a Torah perspective to make sure that um, what they're looking for is in line with who their neshama really is. And we might have a certain insight into their neshamas that friends or maybe sometimes, you know, others may not. So I noticed you did not say something in your last uh, explanation, the identifying, let's say, their unique neshama requirements. Um, what you did not say, and, and this was notable to me, is that, you know, they're looking for some sort of das Torah, sort of decision-making power to help them with the decision. So let, let's speak to that a little bit, because I think it's an important topic over here before we get into other angles. Uh, the assumption is that people ask Rebbeim uh, not only because of that objectivity or because of the insight into their own personalities, but also because they want the answer. Like, what should I do? You know, uh, you put your name on the petek and you give it to them and they say good and bad. You know, there there is such a belief out there. Well, how would you respond to that? And what do you think is the propriety of, let's say, kids going to, or not kids, daters going to uh, such mentors for that purpose and mentors responding uh, in that way? I think it's a very, very bad thing when mentors make decisions for people who are in uh, the decision-making process, not just in the dating scene, but in any decision. Any good mentor is not going to make decisions for the person. It's the other person's life. They have to live with the consequences of that decision. They have to make the decision. A good mentor will help a person in a dilemma to see, to just help them tease out for themselves pros and cons of each aspect of the decision. But at the end of the day, the decision has to be made by the people themselves. And people who look to, by proxy, get someone else to make decisions for them, it's very unhealthy and often will come to regret the decisions that they didn't make themselves later. People can get advice and guidance, but not someone to make the decision for you. I'm very against ever in any guidance kind of situation, making a decision for a person that's their life, they have to own it and they have to live with the consequences of it. So 
And I've often found that when someone else makes the decision, so they don't have to work to make that decision work for themselves. A lot of times making a decision like this means there's work that needs to be put in. And if someone else made it for you, so, okay, I just can just live with it because somebody else did it. So, so the person in the decision has to make the final decision, albeit with guidance and, and helping tease out the, the pros and cons. Yeah, I, I, for sure. I mean, even just HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us in this earth with the Kawah HaBachira, uh, that's, that's something that's meant to be exercised when people are making decisions for you um, instead of uh, empowering you to be in a position to be able to make that position, then they're really doing a tremendous disservice. I, I think that the greatest um, the greatest thing that uh, any kind of uh, mentor person who's guiding somebody can do is to really acquire for themselves the skill of being a good listener um, and to really listen and hear what the person is presenting as their question, as their dilemma, as their stress, and to, to really try to hear it, not to impose their opinion. Um, again, I, I wish I, I knew who I learned this language from, but many, many years ago, it's something which I definitely picked up from somebody or many people in my life, um, which is a language of, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is, and I think both parts of those are very important. Number one, I, I may not be hearing correctly, um, but but let me just literally rewind and play back what you just said to me. And I think that the role of the mentor is really to be a mirror to the person like any good chavrusa. And, and that's why we have lots of mentors in life. Mentors can be in the form of mechanchem and educators. They could be in the form of many friends can act as mentors to people. Certainly parents can be mentors to people. But if the person is able to be a mirror to the other person and say, I think this is what you're saying. Um, and and I, I think that looks, I, to me, there's two ways that that can happen. One is literally just to repeat back what was said. Sometimes we don't even realize until we talk something out. We don't even, aren't, don't even know ourselves what our true feelings are. So many times somebody will come to me saying, I'm so confused, I'm so confused. When I play back the words, I say, I, I'm not sure you're so confused because what I hear you saying is A. So just the conversation and that, that playback as a mirror. And, and the second type of mirroring that I think can happen is when a person can listen well and draw some themes. Well, wait, I, I, I hear that you said this and I hear that you said that. So do you respect him? Or do you sometimes wonder if he feels short, falls short in some areas? Or I remember you saying this about somebody else in another relationship that you once had. Is this something that maybe you struggle with when you look at people? Because it seems to me like there are multiple people in your life. And again, always with that, correct me if I'm wrong. Because even when I'm kind of connecting the dots through that, you know, hopefully attuned listening, uh, I may not be connecting the dots correctly. And that's also not making a decision for the person. It's empowering the person to correct me, to, to push back a little bit. Would you think differently? How might this not be true? And things like that. So um, so this is very important. You know, I always tell my students something that I picked up from a mashkiach a long time ago. You know, we try to give our students a mahalich in life, like a methodology. Now, that's, that's like a, it's like a root, not every footstep. Not every footstep. We're not going to make every decision for them. They're going to have to figure out exactly how to do that on their own, which leads me to some, you know, have you had experience or, or do you have any cautionary tales? Um, you know, we, we have probably our listeners are mostly daters. They're not necessarily the mechanchen who are listening to this and maybe we should take a step back. So for the daters, would you say that if they get the sense that the one who is advising them is offering something which is beyond advice, maybe they should speak to someone else, maybe they should take a step back? Is that, how, how would they tease that out as the data? I think what you're asking for, if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, is uh, what are red flags in, in, in getting advice or receiving advice? Is that, is that correct? Excellent. Yes. Okay. So I, I think. By the that, way, thank, thank you for the active listening. I really appreciate yeah. that. That's exactly what I was saying. Well done. I, I, um, I, I think that really borrowing something, borrowing, excuse me, something that is objectively an emergency 
anybody who insists that you act immediately without taking a pause to stop, think, reflect, um, you know, it's, it's to me, it's the social emotional version of take two aspirin and call me in the morning. It's not a, you know, it's a, you know, that, that could be the doctor not being interested, but it could also be, this might solve itself. This might heal. You might, you might feel differently in the morning, et cetera. Um, I, I think that any kind of rush to do someone's biting, um, again, barring some kind of really dangerous objective situation, that's a crisis to me is a red flag. And I would just add, you know, unfortunately in the business of being rabbis and being mentors. So there are people who are out for their own covered or people who are out for their own, um, you know, they like to, they, 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 they could be controlling and it is a, a danger in our profession in Chinuch and Rabbanus that because you're the center of attention. So sometimes it can get to somebody's head or they could be used to controlling people and they, they, you know, they, that's the way they operate. And I think that that's very bad. It's uh, not healthy, as I said before. And uh, the red flags are when they're saying, you know, it's only their way or, 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 or when you talk to multiple people, you get different, different uh, viewpoints. So, you know, you can't just, uh, I remember Yeshiva had one Rebbe who said, anyone who says my derech is the only derech, you know that that derech is not the right derech. So, there, you know, that, that's the only thing, you know, that everyone can have a lot of different derechim, but a derech that says my way is the only way, then that, that you know, you have to stay away from. I think that's an excellent point. And I actually think that uh, true, true mentors will, will allow for the mentee to seek other opinions. Um, and I, I do think that um, many effective Torah mentors work hand in hand with mental health professionals. Um, and so whether it's another Torah opinion or opening the doors up to ask an opinion from a therapist, a social worker, or something like that, we're talking obviously in the realm of dating, it's, it's all about relationships and social emotional. So to me, that's also something very important to take in mind. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there should be a synergy between those people in your life. And uh, it's an important synergy to develop. Meaning amongst reasonable mentors, you know, I was going to ask you about what if you get conflicting guidance? It's unlikely that guidance will really conflict because the, yeah, that's an excellent and, point. Right. 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 Really interesting. And, and, you know, there is another category, I think, of mentors who don't necessarily mean bad. Uh, and they also don't necessarily um, have the power trip of wanting to make other people's decisions. They're just inexperienced. And it's, it's difficult to be in a situation of inexperience and to admit that. Uh, particularly, I know myself, you know, relatively relatively younger. I just started um, uh, with a child in Shaduchim. It, it opened my eyes in the perspective that really, it's completely and entirely different uh, than it could be that I would have thought about it five years before and what it feels like to be a child or a parent going through it. Yeah. So it's important to have a mentor who's realistic about their abilities as well. Okay, so so let me, um, you mentioned Rabbi Kamenetsky before about uh, sort of being the intermediary with parents. Um, I, I think in my experience, I've seen sometimes it, it becomes a little bit the parents versus, or there's the there the mentor, there's the mechanic, and then there's the parents. And this this really comes uh, out in a lot of different ways uh, over the course of uh, you know young men or women's development. But what what are best practices from the side of the kid, from the side of the parent, or I, I'm, I'm sorry, the side of the mentor, to be able to become allies? Uh, with each other and not necessarily being played for two different sides? It's a very good question. I mean, <laughs> the, the, um, I think the first piece in a, in a successful kind of mediation is that there has to be mutual respect all around. Um, and that's often not the case. Um, in the few cases that I've been involved of that. So, so we're talking about situations where I had great relationships with the parents. I had great relations with the kids. These kids had done beautifully in our yeshiva. We have a long-standing relationship. They just happened to have different views of this particular situation. So that kind of situation is a lot easier to mediate because 
because both sides know that we have no dog in this fight. We, we're, we're just going to try to do what we think is best. And, and we're totally Lishma, we're objective. We've been through many, we've seen many relationships like this. We, you know, we can help, we can help navigate this, this issue. So it gets more complicated when, when for a long time already, the parents have never trusted this particular uh, mentor. You know, that's when it gets, that's when it gets much more complicated. But I think best practices for mentors, um, absolutely best practices for mentors is you have to hear, again, like we said before, listen to everybody's perspective and not to just like, you know, dismiss out of hand uh, anyone's perspectives. If you want real mediation and real and, and, and an outcome that's a healthy outcome, it's got to be where you hear everybody's perspective and you try to bring people to consensus um, as opposed to just, you know, um, just try to railroad decisions through. And, and I think that kids, when they see someone trying to just railroad it through, they may be in, in for a, for a, um, a long-term effects of, of decisions that people did not feel that they really had uh, adequate say in those kinds of decisions. And again, this doesn't just come up in dating. It comes up in a lot of other areas of, of advising people. But the key thing for mentors is to, is to balance people's opinions and, and try to bring people in to decisions as opposed to just to say it's my way or the highway. I think one of the things to keep in mind in achieving that goal is for the mentor to be reminding themselves that it's in the best interest of everybody for everybody to end up here on the same side. Now, sometimes when you, when you enter into a situation and it feels like a boxing match, it's just like so hard to even see how these two sides are, are anywhere near each other because whether it's finances or or hashkafa or whatever the issue is that's dividing everybody, um, it's easy to forget that actually, you know, this child and their parent are are the most allied relationship that exists in the world. It's the inseparable bond. Um, there is no relationship like parent to child. Um, and at the moment that you enter, by virtue of the fact that you're being called in, they're on opposite sides of the ring. And it's easy to forget that both parent and child need each other desperately and want each other desperately deep down. And that if the end result of this tension is that they end up in opposite corners or, God forbid, one out of the ring, so to say, as my husband just said, in the long term, that is a very stressful existence, practically, psychologically, and emotionally. So that, you know, even though it might seem like, hey, they're not talking the same language. And even if you as the mentor deep down disagree with one side or the other, that's not really relevant. The end game and goal, the best case scenario is for them to get together. Um, and, and I think that just keeping that, it's such a simple idea, but keeping that end goal in mind, I believe can be extremely help, helpful and is very healthy for this young adult to hear and see that they're feeling in the moment, such anger or fury or tension or alienation, whatever they're feeling, but that deep down you, the mentor with the long-term goal in mind keep reminding that that really would be the best case scenario here. You know, young adults can feel like it's kind of cool to run off and elope and, and, and do their thing. At the end of the day, that, as my husband said, that's going to bring a lot of its own, own stresses and, and, and baggage. The only thing I would add, and again, this is a very small percentage. I agree with everything that was just said. Um, however, there also may be cases where a mentor feels where some some parties being absolutely unreasonable and unhealthy that that may happen as well also and then that obviously you know complicates things more but it it can only come to such a conclusion after going through the due diligence of listening and trying and wanting to bring people together 
But in the end of the day, sometimes, um, sometimes a mentor may feel strongly. And then the mentor is left with a decision of, you know, what do they do? Do they proceed or do they counsel the person? You know, how do you counsel? That, that becomes obviously very, very uh, complicated. But I'm just throwing it out there that sometimes, you know, yeah. n- n- not everybody can be objective uh, about about their own about their own kids. It's difficult. To- I, I will add that, again, depending on who the mentor is, what their life experience is, what their education is and skill set. But to me, that would be that those scenarios are the classic case where the mentee mentor, excuse me, should be consulting with a mental health professional as to what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what's sustainable, what's not sustainable, and how to best support both parties through that situation. And sometimes kids are being unreasonable. Yeah. Sometimes kids are being totally unreasonable and uh, they won't, you know, they won't. Uh, so, you know, the, again, so the, the job of the mentor is to try to bring them. But if you can't bring them, then, uh, you know, you may, you may have have a much more complicated kind of scenario. I'm sorry for continuing to elaborate on this, but it is just such an important question that you asked, Rabbi Esmach. And I just want to make reference to something that you just said a few minutes ago. Um, you know, I... I, uh, you mentioned that uh, you know now that you have a, a little bit of a of a of a toe into the uh, world of parenting, you know uh, somebody of marriageable age, um, you know you have a little bit of a different perspective. So I will share that you know uh, my husband and I feel incredibly blessed um, to have phenomenal son-in-law, daughters-in-laws, and phenomenal, phenomenal machatanim. It's mamash. For each and every one of them, but um, I remember very, very clearly when our, you know, first child to get married was about four weeks from the wedding, turning to uh, to Yissi and saying, "Everything is great, <laughs> I, better than I ever could have wanted or imagined, or even feel that that we we deserve on any level." And yet, I have such a pit in my stomach, not because of the person my daughter's choosing to marry, not because of my machatan, nothing. It's all like it's la But but the emotions and the the desire for a parent, for their child to enter into this next crucial stage of life, you know, with with everything just being perfect. And again, there was nothing that made me believe that it wouldn't be, but just the anxiety of not knowing that it would be um, is so overwhelming. So Again, humbling for for mentors, you know, it's like any stage of life. Until you get there, till you're in somebody else's shoes, you know, al tadin eschavero, you know, in terms right. of so, so feeling high that emotions and the high tensions that can exist. Yeah, right. So feeling that sense of anxiety um, yeah. that the parents might be feeling, and that's what might be being manifest in the things that you're hearing out of their yeah, a hundred percent. The mentors. If you're not going to get passionate, out. then. For your child, not sure when. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so okay. So it's good to know that this is a minority uh, amount of cases where things completely go off the rails. But the role of the mentor, if I'm hearing you correctly, I just want to do that active listening. If I'm hearing you correctly, <laughs> is to say is to really deal with this holistically. You're not just answering one question. You're thinking about how it, uh, how it, uh, all of the ramifications for the larger family systems and and this couple themselves and and all of that. And that should hopefully. Uh, create you as a natural ally to the parents' desires and 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 the child's desires as well. Okay, great. So so let me ask you a question. I'm I'm a um, I'm an 18 year old. Uh, I'm sorry, 18 is a little young in our community. I'm a 20 year old uh, dater, and um, I, I'm trying to figure out who I should be asking my questions to. Now again, I'm not looking for das Torah. I'm not looking for the person to tell me what to do because that's wrong. But I'm trying to figure out who would be best in parsing out these uh, the variety of issues. I don't want to make a lot of phone calls. I have a pulpit rabbi in my life. I have a, a rabbi from high school. I have a rabbi from base medrash in Israel. I have a lot of different, I have a whole cast of characters who have been involved in my chinuch over the course of years. Is there somebody who you think is a go-to and most useful? Obviously, I'm not attaching names to any of these, these titles or positions, but somebody, you know, the person who knows me longest, is it the person who also knows my family? Is it the person who saw me at my most religious? Like, who, who's the person who you would think that I should best uh, or most be comfortable speaking with? I would say the person who knows you best and and the person who, and hopefully that person is also someone who you respect 
very, very much. It has to be someone who knows you and who you respect and who you're also not afraid to be open and honest with. Um, so maybe those three things are not always the same thing, but it's got to be someone who knows you well, who you're not afraid to be honest with, and also who, whose opinion you respect. I, I would certainly agree with that. Um, and in general, I, I uh, tend to err on the side of being a minimalist in terms of asking for Aitza. You don't need to ask a million people. You don't need to ask everybody. Nobody, we're, you know, again, mature mentors don't get insulted. By the way, that's another red flag. Anybody who says, how come you didn't come to me or didn't ask me, et cetera, then it's not about you, the mentee. It's about them themselves. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, you don't need to ask a million people. Again, I think the only exception to that is that if there's a particular, you know, you, the question that you presented to us was just a very general one to some extent, it probably depends on what it is that you're, what it is that you're asking about, you know, that there's, uh, you know, are you asking how to, you know, does you have specific questions about a certain boy who's learning in a yeshiva. Well then, you know, if you want to get to the Rosh Yeshiva, so I'll be honest, I I Baruch Hashem have called many Rosh Yeshiva, but sometimes it's easier for your Rosh Yeshiva to call the Rosh Yeshiva. Then you got to ask yourself, well, are they going to present the question well? Are they going to really understand what I'm getting to? Will they ask a follow-up question if necessary? So there's a little chachma depending on what it is that you're asking, who you ask, but in general, I would I would keep it in the lane as my husband said, of the person who knows you best. Okay, so now I want to I want to move on to the future. You know, a a, a couple, uh, let's say each they have their own etza that they get, their own advice and guidance that they get from their own uh, respective mentor, and then they get engaged, and then they get engaged, and then they decide that they have uh, two mentors in their life. Each has their own. Uh, but they want Shalom bias, and they want to try to sort of pick uh, pick their Rebbe or pick their the Mora or the Rebbitzin, whatever it is. How do they how do they sort of go about that? Uh, should they be each retreating into their own corners for Eitzah? Should they be uh, some, some figuring out a way how to have some unifying principle of Eitzah in their lives? Like what, what's what? What would you recommend? Such a great such a great question that is, and 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 I. And I would think it's really not not so simple to answer. Um, obviously, what's best would be if they can both agree on one person that could be a mentor for both of them. That would be the best, I think. It's just simpler if they both find someone who knows them well and respects that, and they respect his or that person's opinion. Um, but I, I don't think that that means that everyone has to abrogate and uh you know and 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 leave other mentors that they had but on things that are that that are affect the marriage you know they, they should try try to get one person obviously if each one has their own you know if the two that they have their own you know can speak to each other so that that's also okay if they could uh yesterday's dafiomi had any city that has two rabbis that are can't talk to each other, then there's going to be a lot of plagues on the city. So not just rabbis, but I'm saying hopefully the mentors can speak to each other and can maybe help as well. So the idea would be would be one um, that could that could be the, the guidance of the family, um, but uh, for many reasons that's often not not possible. And if it's not possible, so it should try to be. People who, you know, will be able to get along with each other, will be good listeners to understand the other, um, the other side. And, uh, but, uh, but I think, I think the question, you know, is better than, than my answer. Um, I, I don't have any, any, uh, any great uh, wisdom to say that, you know, I can only, you know, we were talking before about this question, you know, we just feel like in our lives, we, we got very lucky in the sense that uh, Rabbi Mordechai Willig was my Rebbe, um, and he's a very special person. And over the years, and he, he's always spoken to my wife, gotten to know my wife, made it his business always to 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 um, get to know Elisheva. 
And so whatever we have guidance that we look for, so we really both feel comfortable. Um, he's the rabbi of the family. You know, he's, 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 so we feel very blessed about that. But I think that's so. I, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, so I, I think that, you know, it, it, it's unique and it doesn't have to be unique. I, I think that's an important point. Meaning I, I think that I, I often advise, uh, you know, engaged couples to make a meeting, you know, with whoever it's going to be, whether it's the boys, Rav, if, if it's the woman who has uh, more of a connection to a Rav at that point in her life than her. And, and not to waste the Rav's time, Shalom, or to make up questions, but I, I present a list of questions that a, a couple could be asking to a Rav that are not deeply private. You know, they don't, they don't have to be uncomfortable um, at all, but just certain questions. I, I remember very clearly Rabbi Willie coming into our home um, to assess with my husband where mezuzahs belong. Um, so again, special, special to have a Rebbe like that who would make a house call for that. But deep down, now that I know Rabbi Willig well, I, 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 I wonder, you know, in today's day and age, of course, you could take pictures and show videos and whatever. It wasn't quite like that, you know, when we, uh, when we bought our home. But uh, I wonder if that wasn't his extra effort to kind of come into our home. But I think that if that isn't the case, if, if you don't have a Shiloh about your mezuzahs, if the Rav isn't able to make house calls, because that isn't the case in every scenario or situation, um, then if you call, you know, and you are present, um, very often when we have a Shiloh from a Willick, he's on speakerphone and we're both there. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, in any relationship and even the mentee and mentor relationship early on, you know, when you're in yeshiva and the person's in the base medrash or you're in seminary or in school and the person's there, you know, and you know where to find them at, at 930 in the morning, you know, their makom and where they can be found. It's one thing. But, you know, if you want a relationship with somebody, you, you have to pursue it to some extent. And I think it should be, uh, you know, that a, a husband and wife, they, they talk to, together about who will be the spiritual guide for their family. And together as a unit that they actively pursue that because when you have it, it's the greatest gift. I want to add one or two points to that. Um, every single DRS graduation at every graduation, I've always said to the boys, you must have a Rebbe for life. You have to have a Rebbe that you can go to. It doesn't have to be your high school Rebbe. It could be high school. It could be shul rabbi. It could be your Rebbe from Yeshiva, from Desmet, whatever, when at college, whatever it is. But you need someone to have, I believe, very, very strongly. I just want to take a moment and say how important I think it is that, that is especially a young couple, but everybody in life, I can, my relationship with Rabbi Willig has elevated me and our whole family and all of our children and, and, and grandchildren. It's ele- elevated our whole family having that connection. Um, with someone who knows you well and who you respect and who, you know, you, and, and, you know, will, will take the time, you know, to, uh, to, to, to give that. That's one point. The other point I want to also just throw out there, um, and this is a statement of support for shul rabbis or even, I mean, in a different way, you know, a, J, a JLIC, even campus rabbi who, who does a lot of, you know, in a different way. Um, but, uh, but the shul rabbis, if you belong to a shul, you know, I, I think that a person should choose a shul to belong to that statement. Number one, which doesn't necessarily, uh, happen nowadays in the stabilization of uh, America, where I, or a I, backyard, a shul or a backyard. Exactly. <laughs> where I dive in one place Friday night, another place Shabbos day. And I, I don't have a rub anymore, a shut rub. We don't have those kind of situations where you have a rabbi in the town as much. So I think we lose something with that, and 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 the shuls. You know, so if you move into a community, you know, one of the one of the places, one of the things you should think about is what's the shul and who's going to be my rabbi in the community. And if there's a rabbi in the community that you live, you should try to choose a community based on if there's going to be a rabbi there that you feel you can learn from and can guide you and can help mentor you. So I I I, I have a concern. That we're moving away from the shul rabbi model, and um, and and I would just want to give a plug for that. I think there was a lot of 
there are a lot of positives of that model. And, and, and I think that a lot of the factors, aside from not just COVID, but other factors that have caused people to like leave shuls or break into smaller communities is, is, is there are many negatives that come along with that. So um, just, uh, I, so I, I think people should still be looking, you know, for rabbinic leadership in their daily lives um, from their shuls. Uh, what, what would be some uh, guidance you would give to the mentors? Let's say uh, best practices to be in touch with the, those young marries, those newly marries, those, you know, maybe what's the value proposition that they can offer to the, uh, the young couples or to their former students? Like what, what, what do you do? Let's say in the context of the help system, uh, I, mean, I know how difficult it is. I, I've had many, hundreds of Talmidim and people and, and congregants, it's very difficult to hold cup. And as I always say, you know, I, they have fewer rabbis than I have students uh, to keep in touch with. But at the same time, sometimes it could be up to the mechanic and the mentor. Uh, are there any great ideas that, that you've uh, accomplished to be in touch, things that work well? I don't, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll both admit that for all the people who we are in touch with, we wish we were in touch with more. It is... It is not easy uh, to. It's not just you. It's not. Don't, don't feel the, bad. The lab is there, there and the is, is is not always there. But I I I, I will say that we could probably answer that uh, again. Bigadolo and Bikatan. I I think the first thing is to um, be responsive when people reach out, um, and that's not always so easy. You know, I always tell people, well, you know why it took me a while to call back? Because you said it wasn't urgent. You know, you told me it wasn't terribly important. So those the those are the. Uh, those are the worst things you can say if you want, you know, then it goes down to the bottom of the, uh, of the pile, so to say. But um, I think that if a mentor shows themselves to interested, even to respond, I, again, this happens to be also something that happened to me just tonight. I, I reached out to somebody. It was one of those really embarrassing old, you know, voice notes that had never been responded to. And that popped back up onto my phone as I was scrolling for something else um, you know, and I was, I, I guess I, you know, my Yitzhahara was like, let's pretend I didn't see that. Um, but, you know, when you do call back and even say, I, I know you called me a while ago, I was thinking about you, I realized I didn't call you back. I actually think that that, that builds, a, you know, a sense of, hey, you're interested, you care, you want to, uh, you want to hear, you want to connect, even if it's, if it's a little bit later, you know, than I had originally reached out. So I just think being responsive. I, I, I think, you know, just kind of, as you said before, we're all humans. I can make a mistake and call you by your sister's name. It's the worst mistake I could make, but I've definitely done it. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that I, I, don't, I don't care or that I'm not really trying to uh, remember and to hold cup, not, not so much for what your name is and where you're from, but where you're holding, where you're at and, and how perhaps I could be helpful to you moving forward. There are a number of Rebbe's in DRS who are amazing and outstanding at keeping in touch with their students. Um, how do they do it? Um, mostly by reaching out to them, by reaching out to them, by, by staying in touch with what they're up to, by sometimes, and again, I know some of this may be a little controversial in some circles about should you be texting your uh, your teacher? Teachers be text, texting students. I don't want to enter into that discussion now. In DRS, all the kids text their rebbies, and the rebbies text the students. It is accepted practice in DRS. Um, um, but they'll they'll anytime they hear something's going on in their lives, they'll they'll reach out and text. And kids just appreciate the care. They appreciate the the relationship. And th- those rebbies that have the most um, touch points, the, mo- the most, the most, the, the biggest, the, the greatest connections with the most amount of kids are the ones who just care a tremendous amount and are willing to give of themselves, they show up. Give, give of their time. Yeah. I mean, we have rabbis that show up at every bris, bar mitzvah, upsh- today it was an upsharon. So there, there was a bunch of rabbis tonight, tonight when it was a DRS wedding tonight, you know, there were five or six DRS Rebbies at the wedding. It's a, it's a credit that they were invited. You know, that's not always. Exactly. Wrong. Exactly. But and by the way, but we're very, we're very uh, open about this at the open house in eighth grade. We tell the parents, 
that part of the mission of our yeshiva is you're going to have four more people to invite to your kid's wedding. It's ninth grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. So we sort of set up those expectations. Now, again, we don't always meet those expectations, I'm going to be honest, but but we do our best. It's part of the fabric of the school. And it's honestly one of the reasons why we're still doing education in America as opposed to Israel. Um, one of the things that we feel strongly about is, is building these long-term kind of connections where you could have would be with a family from the kid from kindergarten to 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 post you know high and you're 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 living in the same as opposed to your year in Israel a lot of times you just have like a year or two and you have that shot to create that connection and then they're gone and then there's a whole new sh- shipment in so high school is four years of it so so it, it's building it's building connection with families and we get you know all the siblings and and girls and boys and this simcha and that, you know so it builds you know that's that's part of Honestly, for us, the attraction of, I mean, what, why are we in this business? We're in this business to be mashpia. We're in this business to try to, to bring Hashem's, Hashem's word and Hashem's Torah to as many people as possible. So if there's no connection, then, then there's no growth. So the more connected we can be. And unfortunately, I, I do share my wife's uh, lament that, that, you know, that due to just the amount of things that we're doing, we can't give as much time as we would like to each individual. Last night, last night we had a 10-year reunion for the class of 2011. So we had about 50 out of the 70 kids from the grade showed up. And it was a beautiful evening. People felt, and like 10 Rebbies, you know, showed up to it. And it's a very beautiful thing. Again, something that we do, we all go visit in Israel. You know, we when the kids leave, we try to visit. We send probably four or five Rebbies. So, so we do our best to try to, keep up uh, the connection as much as we can, but it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. We, we could, we, if we did, we could do nothing else all day long, but just do that. And we would have full-time jobs. hundred percent there. I have three takeaways uh, from this. Uh, my first takeaway is that you just reminded me that I forgot to call somebody back today. And now I feel very badly about that. That's, that's number one. Uh, takeaway number two, and, and you mentioned the role of the, let's say the DRS Rebbe, who's attempting to build that lifetime uh, relationship uh, as a pulpit rabbi. Uh, I will also say that that is something which it's on my mind, and, and I think a lot of rabbis nowadays as well. We literally uh, bring children from cradle, you know, all the way up. Very often they move back into the community, and uh, I actually see the role of the pulpit rabbi as doing those handoffs from you know from elementary school to high school, and from high school to Israel and Israel uh, to college or the JLIC rabbi, and then uh, beyond that. Um, and that 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 I think is something that also kids should, if they have that opportunity, to take advantage of too, because that kid will, you know, that rabbi will know the family and they know the entire context and can be very helpful. Uh, my third point is, I guess now back to the daters, the daters who are hearing from the mechanchim, you know, the, the difficulties involved in getting in touch, the difficulties involved in staying in touch. Uh, give give everybody a break, uh, a benefit of the doubt. If you don't get a call back. It, it could just be because, you didn't, you know, whatever. It, it just was, it, it, it got lost at a really bad time. And so therefore, on behalf of Mechanchem, the world over, we apologize. We'll get back to you. But if we don't, if we don't, yeah. please call back. Please call back. Do not please, please, please call back. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's and you're not, we always say we don't, all the girls are so sweet. We don't want to nudge. We don't want to bother. I said, oh, no, no, nudge, nudge, bother, nudge. Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yosef, Yosef, Yimasha, Egel, wrote Selina, Kapar, wrote Selahanik, Exactly, exactly. We just get in our own way sometimes. Okay. Well, we thank you, Rabbi Ismach, for, for, uh, for uh, defending us and for... Uh, <laughs> It's worth it to come on to the podcast just right, to get to that to to get defense. That yeah, well, well, I'm in the same business, by the way. I, I do uh, cross, um, so I'm, yeah. I'm kind of defending myself, you know, uh, just a little bit more smoothly. Yeah. Okay, this was really, this is really great. I, I really appreciate uh, uh, the two of you really offering this time. Not only did you offer us time, but time simultaneously at the same time when clearly you're both available and likely have other things to do. Uh, I would imagine such time is precious. And so thank you very much. I think people will learn a lot from this episode about the appropriate role of mentors. Hopefully there are mentors who are listening as well, who are maybe uh, new to the position or new to that role and will be able to learn a lot as well. So um, I want to thank you both for coming on. Thank you. This is really beneficial for us all. So unless, you know, unless you have anything else, any, any closing yeah, I, just, I did I just want to add one thing because I, I, I feel like in this topic of mentors, 
you know, that uh, I mentioned earlier that our parents are really our, our primary mentors in life. And that while, while there, we spoke a lot about the, whether it was the boxing ring and there could be, you know, mentors and parents sometimes even could be at odds with each other. As my husband said, in order for anything to work well, everybody has to have mutual respect. I, I really just want to emphasize that, you know, mentors are by no means replacements for parents. Um, and that, you know, it's important. I think sometimes people who are dating feel like, um, well, you know, the shidduch system is so different than the way my parents dated. And, you know, I, I, I my parents and my parents even say it. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what the rules are. I don't know where to go. You got to find somebody who can help you. I can't do this, et cetera. And I, I get all that. I just think that that the the young people who are dating have such an amazing opportunity that even if they're utilizing a mentor for, even if it's for practical purposes, to look into somebody, whatever it might be, to keep their parents in the loop, meaning they're not mutually exclusive mentors and parents. And that more often than not, it's certainly the cases that we find most often, they they do work hands in hands. And it's so much up to the young people who are dating to try to facilitate that. So that even if you're asking questions to a mentor, Share with your parents what's going on. Going out with somebody Thursday night. You don't have to. You don't. You're, you're a young adult. You you can have your privacy in certain ways. But uh, parents certainly belong in the process and are ultimately your your primary mentors in so many ways. Great, great, Rabbi Yisrael Kamenetsky, Rabbi Tzinelli Sheva Kamenetsky. Thank you so much for your time and for your guidance. And thank you all to those who are listening. We hope you enjoyed another episode and gained something from it. Have a great day. Thank you to our gracious hosts and guests this evening. Please email us at yuconnects at yu.edu to suggest future dating and relationship building topics and guests for your enjoyment. Candidate at yuconnects.com.